0: don't have specific drugs for autism, and and that's what makes it so challenging because autism is what we call a global disorder or difference in functioning. It affects every area of functioning, social, behavioral, emotional, cognitive, even motor planning, how we move in space. All of those things are impacted by autism, so there has not been any successful production of a, of a drug that is successful in treating autism, so it's kind of a band-aid approach, You're listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard.
1: Calling into the show today, we have Julie C. Liske. Ms. Liske is the president of Red Door Nonprofit Consulting, LLC, and currently serves on the Tennessee Governor's Council for Autism Spectrum Disorders, as well as the National Spark for Autism Advisory Council. Ms. Liskey. Welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to be here. This is the first time we have ever discussed autism on this podcast because, as I understand it, autism is not a mental health issue. Now, when when you and I first met, Ms. Liskey, you correctly pointed out that people with autism do have mental health and therefore can have mental health issues. So we're gonna dive into all of that in just a few minutes. But just to ensure
0: that I'm on the mark, is autism a mental illness? Actually, no, it is not, Gabe, and, and you're correct that most people think that autism does fall into the mental illness category. How is autism diagnosed? Autism cannot be successfully evaluated by using any kind of objective measures, such as blood tests, genetic testing, or anything like that at this point. So we have to look at subjective measures instead, and, and that's where a lot of the confusion comes in. Before we go
1: any further, let's talk about your personal connection to this subject, because while you're highly qualified as as an expert in this subject, you you also do have that personal connection. Can you talk
0: about you and your family a little bit? I sure can. And that personal connection does make all the difference. Most importantly, I have two sons who are on the autism spectrum. Um, One is 21, one is 31. And then I have a neurotypical daughter in the middle, Sarah, who is 30. And then myself, I'm diagnosed with autism level one, um, which back before the DSM started classifying everyone under the autism umbrella, that would have been considered Asperger's syndrome. However, I was nonverbal until I was almost four years old. And so I, I remember growing up with a lot of the challenges that I see young people with autism face as, as well as across the lifespan. So I have a very, very deep and personal connection to autism for sure. You blew
1: my mind when I first met you because you pointed out that people who are on the autism spectrum can have mental health issues and the way that mental health issues are diagnosed are going to look different between somebody that is on the autism spectrum and somebody who is not. And I remember when you said that and I just sat there thinking, huh, how did I miss that? That sort of brings me to my question. Is it common for somebody who lives with autism to experience a mental health issue? Is it more or less common? Where does all
0: that land? Well, that's a really good question because you do see a lot of different types of mental illnesses that co-occur with autism. And people with autism are more likely or much more predisposed to develop a mental illness as a result of autism, if that makes sense, simply because people with autism are typically more socially isolated uh, many of them have significant communication disorders, which can make them more of a target for unfortunate situations such as abuse in the home, sexual abuse, bullying, someone taking advantage of them, which can result in increased rate of mental illness.
1: Now, obviously, some cases of mental illness might be exacerbated or, I mean, really they could be caused uh, by trauma. But uh, Julie, from your perspective and from your vantage point Are there any types of mental health issues that are more common in people with autism?
0: Yes, we do see um, ADHD and ADD more commonly diagnosed alongside autism. That obviously wouldn't have anything to do with trauma, but there are some overarching things that are similar between autism and ADD and ADHD as far as sensory processing. So the accuracy of that is still out there. question whether or not it's actually ADHD or a sensory processing issue with autism. But besides that, we see uh, commonly obsessive compulsive disorder, anxiety and depression. But some other mental health issues that people with autism might experience are some types of eating disorders that are also tied to sensory processing. Occasionally, we see Tourette's we see, again, the obsessive compulsive is, is very prominent. So those are the primary ones, although there are many others that could be associated as well.
1: There are several myths surrounding an autism diagnosis. Let's talk about the big one. Do vaccines
0: cause autism? Thank you for asking me that question, Dave. Um, I get asked that question every week, at least once a week. Um, vaccines do not cause autism, and that that does rattle a lot of people's whenever I say that. and it's because we do have a lot of longitudinal studies that do show populations that have never been vaccinated have the same incidence and prevalence of autism. The research does show that like I just said that autism is not decreased by being non-vaccinated. I understand that this myth came from an actual scientific
1: study, and, and that's why people believe it. Do you know the history of where this came from and why people have bought into it and held on to it so tightly?
0: I do. Uh, and I remember when it occurred, it was shortly after my younger son was diagnosed with autism. and And so I was hit full force with information from everyone around me. Did you hear? Did you hear? And And so I started digging and looking into it. And it was actually a doctor in the UK, Andrew Wakefield, who did a study. And so he he published this in The Lancet, the the most prominent medical journal in the UK, that vaccine injury caused autism. People grabbed hold of that. People wanted an answer. Why does my child have autism? Who can I blame? And there, there was some speculation that this was the result of him working in collaboration with Personal injury attorneys who were looking to sue Big Pharma. So that's kind of how that started. All the the specifics on that, I won't claim to have the exact answers, but that's the overarching story. So that did take hold because again, parents want solutions, or they want to know why, and they also want to know how can we fix it. And of course, those answers aren't easy. There's a lot of a lot of stuff in there, but we do also have the coinciding. Presence of we get vaccinated every few months during that period of life, and that's also when we also see the signs of autism typically appear. So the way those two things converge has led parents to feel that way.
1: Julie, thank thank you so much for that. I just I, I really 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 want to hit this hard for our listeners. I've I've done a lot of research on this and and bad science in. Well, just bad science, period, it hurts a lot of people. But it I, I've seen it over and over again in mental health and mental illness circles where people are just relying on data that is just, frankly, either no longer true, was never true, the result of a bad study. And, and this autism vaccine, it's just everywhere. And I, I want to point out that this original study has been debunked over and over and over and over and over, and over again It was originally published in 1998, and almost immediately, epidemiological studies were conducted and published refuting the link between MMR vaccination and autism. And and by 2004, 10 of the 12 co-authors of the paper retracted the results saying that no causal link was established between MMR vaccine and autism. And it was shown that Wakefield had in fact been funded by lawyers who had been engaged by parents in lawsuits against vaccine producing companies, and that he failed to disclose this financial interest before publication, which is ethically and morally bankrupt and in 2010 the lancet itself the journal that published this original study completely retracted it saying that in addition to failing to disclose his funding sources wakefield was also guilty of ethical violations and scientific misrepresentations that is an exact quote and That should have been the final nail in the coffin. It should have been over. But strangely, it was not. In 2011, the British Medical Journal published a series of articles showing that Wakefield and his team were actually guilty of deliberate fraud. They cherry-picked their data, and they only used data that supported their cause discarding the rest and they outright falsified some of the results they they made it up they they lied they just lied I cannot be more clear. They literally just made it up, and they did it because they were paid. Wakefield was paid over 400,000 pounds by one of the lawyers. That's over 575,000 US dollars, over one-half a million dollars all the way back in 1998. It's probably important to point out that a half a million dollars is a lot of money today. Again, I I apologize for the passion in my voice, but I actually read the article in the British Medical Journal, the, the BMJ, and it was just amazing, amazing to me, the depth of this fraud. The retracted study was of 12 children And the writers of this article in the the BMJ actually tracked down these kids, their medical records, and some of their parents, and found a lot of contradictions. They said uh, that out of the 12 patients, quote, no case was free of misreporting or alteration. One parent was even quoted saying that he hoped Wakefield would have his license revoked because his misrepresentation of my son in his research paper is inexcusable. And Wakesfield's license was revoked. And his fitness to practice here in the UK General Medical Council called him, again, I, these are not Gabe's words, quote, dishonest, unethical, and callous. And and, <laughs> and despite all of that, this idea that vaccines cause autism lives on It is just incredible to think that something so egregiously false has managed to scare parents away from vaccines for over 20 years. And this false fear has led to disease outbreaks and children have died because of this. It is, it is sickening to me. It is, it is just sickening. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline
0: Media. He does the show with me, Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist.
1: That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living
0: well with bipolar disorder. Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com IBP to learn more.
1: Subscribe now so you don't miss out.
0: Hi there, I'm Faye McCray, Editor-in-Chief of Psych Central. Whether you're looking for free resources, quizzes, or thought-provoking personal perspectives, Psych Central has what you need to join you on your mental health journey. Psych Central's talented team of award-winning writers, editors, and medical professionals are passionate about creating a safe, inclusive, and trustworthy environment where you feel seen and heard. Visit us now at psychcentral.com. That's psychcentral.com. We're
1: back discussing mental health and autism spectrum disorders with Julie C. Liskey. Is mental illness treated differently in people with autism? Uh,
0: Yes, it is. We don't have specific drugs for autism. And and that's what makes it so challenging because autism is what we call a global disorder or difference in functioning. It affects every area of functioning, social, behavioral, emotional, cognitive, even motor planning, how we move in space. All of those things are impacted by autism. So there has not been any successful production of a, of a drug that is successful in treating autism. So it's kind of a band-aid approach. And if you're going to treat it with pharmaceuticals, it's absolutely a band-aid approach. So we typically have to blend in other types of interventions, such as behavior analysis, cognitive behavior therapy, different approaches that will complement certain drugs. However... When you're treating a person with autism, you're more likely to see sensitivities to drugs that are administered. I'll just use myself as an example since I'm the easiest person. I can violate my own HIPAA if I want to. So I take specifically for PTSD associated with autism as a result of autism and getting into situations that you weren't aware that were dangerous. So I take that. However, I'm very sensitive to the serotonin reuptake inhibitor part of that drug, and so I can get serotonin syndrome very easily with a low dose. And so that kind of reaction is very common in autism.
1: Having been the host of this podcast for a long time, I've, I've learned a lot of what I consider to be disturbing facts. And one of the ones that's coming into my brain right now is I learned that, that pharmaceutical companies and drug trials... Uh, generally test them on men. And they do that because men can't get pregnant and therefore they lower the risk of harm to a fetus, lowers their liability. There, there's all kinds of reasons for this. And on the surface, this kind of makes sense. I mean, nobody wants to put a pregnancy in harm's way. Nobody wants to harm an unborn child. But on the other hand, it means we're not getting the data that we need to see how this treatment impacts women. Now, I imagine in treatment trials, drug trials, et cetera, they're probably not utilizing people with autism. How do you find out the best practices when all of these practices are created on neurotypical people, yet in your
0: community, they need to be used for your wellness? That's an amazing question, Gabe. And you're, you're absolutely spot on. And it, it is challenging. So you have people who they're testing and they're not on the spectrum, and so we don't have a means of, of knowing how to go about that. I know there are now tests that they can administer to people, anyone, but it's particularly useful for the population who has autism that can let you know what drugs you're sensitive to and in what way. So that seems to be our only tool right now at this time until they can expand the initial testing to people who are impacted by autism, and and I'm not sure how easy that would be, but you're absolutely correct, especially in the diagnostics area. I don't mean to jump topics, but it's very similar in diagnostics, is that the diagnostic instruments being used to measure the severity or the impact of autism, those tests are, they're normed by people who are neurotypical. And so in my opinion, it's like, you know, you're giving a visual processing test to a blind person when you're trying to give testing that is primarily language based to people who have what is considered primarily a communication disorder. So there are so many holes in this, whether it be pharmaceuticals or testing for people with autism. We have a long, long way to go
1: staying on the theme of uh, stereotypes and misinformation. One of them is that people on the spectrum aren't in relationships. They're not getting married. They're not having families. Now you've already answered that question with, with your life. We know that people on the autism spectrum get married and have kids because you have, but where do you think that comes from? Why is that a persistent belief in our society?
0: There's a lot of things in the media that have lent to that stereotype that people with autism don't want to be connected with other people, prefer to be isolated or alone, and that's simply not true. People with autism, a few of them do prefer to be alone, just like people without autism. It's it's a variation in personality. However, the ability to connect with other people can be compromised when you have autism because the lack of ability to read social cues, um, nonverbal cues, when, when you're interacting with people, how to speak to someone without standing too close or looking away from them, how to make it appear that you're connecting. Those features are are where the challenges lie in autism. So when you interact with someone on the spectrum, on the autism spectrum, who is able to communicate, 99% of the time they'll tell you that they very much want to have friends and they want to have relationships and they want someone to be with, and it is difficult for them to do so. So that is very much a myth that people with autism do not want connection. It's just the way they connect is different.
1: One of the things that's surprising to me is that it, it's called the autism spectrum. Spectrum is right in the name, yet there is this persistent myth that every single person with autism is identical, that there's only one way that autism can
0: present. Yeah, I think there's some underlying features that are common across the spectrum that you can see. One of them, most notably, it can be eye contact. Although some people with autism have good eye contact, that usually takes some time. So the eye contact piece can be one thing that people look at when they're thinking of someone with autism. But as you mentioned, there's a host of different features that a person with autism can have. And so it's assembling all those pieces in parts. And you have your unique person with autism but those beliefs do come somewhat from the media. They also come often from when children are very young and diagnosed with autism and they have a, they're very much impacted by autism. The features do appear a lot more similar, sometimes aggression, lots of activity, not communicating with others, not using gestures like pointing at an airplane, like, look, daddy, there's an airplane. You don't see those features in a person with autism, but as that person grows, they' become very much they a unique person and I think a lot of that is media driven
1: now you mentioned aggression are people with autism innately aggressive or even violent?
0: no <laughs> I know when we had talked before we talked about anytime you have seen you know in years past school shootings or different types of violence in the community and you just kind of hold your breath and wait for them to say that that person had some type of mental illness or they were somewhere on the autism spectrum, and that always turns my stomach when I hear that. People with autism are no more likely to be aggressive or violent um, than anyone else being marginalized and left out and bullied and mistreated, abused. Different things or traumas that can happen to a person because they are on the autism spectrum can lead to that type of behavior, but it can also lead to that type of behavior in a person without autism.
1: As you alluded, mental health advocates, we get dogged by this as well, that there must be a reason, it has to be somebody's fault, and it's probably some sort of mental health issue, disability, something. And of course, this makes it very difficult for people to exist in society, do you feel that the media is perpetuating these stereotypes in a way that is detrimental to your community, much in the same way that many people in the mental health community feels that the media perpetuates these stereotypes?
0: I do. I do. whenever the media gets hold of any kind of, of diagnosis of any kind, as you know, they, they put that out there. Um, and there's no explanation given for for any of the conditions in which they grew up surrounding that diagnosis. If you've noticed, that's never mentioned. However, at the same time, like here in in Tennessee, you know, we're currently having the trial for a father who killed his son with autism, which happens all the time. It's horrifying. But no one makes that connection between the two, how this person with autism is treated and how this person who may be somewhere on the spectrum may have committed a violent crime. But look at the track record of violence against people who are on the spectrum. There's, there's no attention given to how that fleshes out on the other side when we do see violence perpetrated by people on the spectrum.
1: We've obviously picked on the media a lot, but let's talk about pop culture, televisions, movies. How do you feel about the pop culture representation of autism? I'm, I'm thinking about like the Netflix show Atypical.
0: Yeah, I've seen Atypical. I think I saw a couple of episodes. I don't keep up with pop culture as much as I've probably should. I think that's a function of something being on the spectrum. I prefer more factual and information that I like to consume in documentaries, but I have seen a few of those because I'm asked that question so often. There are some overlapping features with some some of the characters, but by and large, we're starting to see more of those characters being portrayed as more functional, and I do appreciate that they are getting better at showing these individuals very differently. I think that the person who started in parenthood as the person on the spectrum is very different than the person in atypical and very different than the person on good doctor. So that's, that's good, but that's the extent of my knowledge in pop culture. But I look forward to seeing it become much more diversified and seeing people who, who are able to achieve the levels that a lot of people with autism are able to achieve and how they contribute in a positive way rather than being some type of burden. That would be my hope. Do you see any
1: improvement or anything that gives you hope in in this regard?
0: I do, I do. I'm seeing many, many, many more women getting a diagnosis, albeit late, because we do present differently, but it does clear things up and helps people, you know, establish what's going on in their lives, what's happened in the past, help make sense of why these things happen, that it's not their fault, however you want to look at it, whatever's happened in your life. And that has enriched the lives of a lot of people being able to get accurate diagnoses. And better yet, we're seeing more and more young girls getting their diagnosis earlier. It's wonderful to see some progress being made in that regard.
1: Ms. Liskey, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show and for sharing this information with our listeners.
0: I understand that you have a book. I do. I do. It is on Amazon. It is called In the Eye of the Hurricane. And the subtitle is Finding Peace in the Storm of Autism. And it is essentially a memoir. And since I had my children in eastern Kentucky, everything in eastern Kentucky is rural, so I don't have to put rural in there. My objective was to create a resource for families who lived in rural areas or lacked the financial means to access the quality of care that you can access in more metropolitan areas. So that book is still out there, and you can find it on Amazon. Again, it's In the Eye of the Hurricane, Finding Peace in the Storm of Autism by Julie C. Lisky.
1: And if any of our listeners want to reach you, how can folks do so?
0: I would recommend just emailing me directly. You can reach me at Julie. And just remember that my first name does not have an E. So it's juli.liske, L-I-S-K-E, at gmail.com.
1: Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. And a big thanks to all of our listeners. Wherever you downloaded this podcast, please subscribe or follow the show. It's absolutely free. Also, take a moment and review the show. Tell other people why you are listening so that they can listen too. My name is Gabe Howard, and I'm the author of Mental Illness is an Asshole, and Other Observations. I'm also a nationally recognized public speaker who would love to be at your next event. You can grab a signed copy of my book or learn more about me over at GabeHoward.com. I'll see everybody next Thursday on Inside Mental Health.
0: You've been listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. Have a topic or guest suggestion? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com/slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening.